Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Now, uh, it's usually at this point, and just because we're at this spot in the presentation doesn't mean you're at this point in the journey. So now I'm talking about if you were working through these steps, kind of going through that larger notebook uh, with a friend, with somebody in your small group or a counselor, you're going, to have, you're going to have felt the momentum change several times. Because initially it's just hard. I mean, the hardest part of anything is getting started. And you just think, is it worth it? Can I really do it? Is it going to make a difference? And, and it's hard to convince yourself that's going to happen. And then as you go through some of those early steps, you start to get some insight. And you begin to see some of this, and it makes sense. And it gives you a sense that this really could make a difference. And it's kind of a, it's an uptick point. And even through the point of making a plan, making plans is great. Um, and then we start to get to this point of implementation again. And that's more like going to the gym than it is buying a gym membership. Uh, it, that's the part that, that becomes hard. But um, that's what Ed Welch is telling us. The task at hand is to practice turning to the Lord when we are afraid. Everything that we've been talking about is just different ways, different nuances of Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will turn to you. So that it becomes natural and instinctive to turn to Him. Are you beginning to think that your fears are actually opportunities to know God better, to trust Him, and to witness what he will, uh, how He will give you grace when you need it? That's a huge turning point. When I experience depression or anxiety, and I don't think, oh no, I've blown it. Oh no, I'm scum. Oh no, I'm like in remedial Christianity. And I begin to say, this is a moment where I'm going to learn something precious, where I'm going to see God for me in a new and fresh way. Now, it's in this step of implementation that we start trying to measure our progress. And, and measuring progress is tricky. And I'd say, especially with depression and anxiety, it's just, it's not easy uh, for at least three reasons. One, we're trying to measure something very fluid. I mean, you think about your experience. I think every one of us wake up depressed. I mean, you're just foggy. You're not fully conscious yet. You're trying to remember what day it is and whether you're late and whether you overslept. Uh, I mean, it just, that initial moment of going from blissful unconsciousness uh, into what have I got to do today, uh, I mean, that's like a seven-second crash course in depression and anxiety. And then we go through like, ah, I get my coffee and it starts to get a little better and I get into my day and there's just, you know, there's kind of that 
peak time when my energy level's there, and then I have that 2.30 feeling. I'm supposed to get a five-hour energy, but that makes me too jittery. And then I come home, and I'm starting to get tired. And I'm, whine, I'm getting kind of lethargic as I get towards the end. At what point in the day is that me? When am I supposed to be balanced? Well, we're just talking about a very fluid experience. And then you throw on top of that that we have good days and bad days, that all of those things happen at their own level of fluctuation. Then uh, when we try to measure uh, our progress, there's just a tendency to measure our performance over our dependence. And if as Christians we're saying that the measure of progress is our active dependence, our active reliance upon God, uh, then we start to look at how we're doing as these performance markers in a way that can inadvertently take us further away from what we said was progress to begin with. And then, um, how do we handle it when we do have a regression? I mean, let's face it, we're going to have times when we get stressed out. We're going to have times when we get down. And if we think of those like somebody who's struggling with substance abuse thinks of relapse, um, that just kind of becomes this really difficult... um, I mean, how do we process that? Am I really going to relapse for the rest of my life? Uh, So I want to give us a couple of different ways, kind of two paradigms. And it's not as if they're competing paradigms. They're just maybe one serves you better than the other in terms of how to think about measuring progress. One is to just look at certain markers of what it would look like to grow in grace uh, when it comes to depression and anxiety. A decrease in frequency uh, of when we sin, of when we start to look for um, or look from, I don't want to say that, we begin to look to other things to give us what only God can give us. As we fight with depression and anxiety that's in that domain of our responsibility, we should find uh, that we're fighting that battle less. Repenting more quickly. Because we begin to realize that repentance isn't an act of shame. It's just restoring relationship with our source of hope. Uh, A change in the battleground. Uh, We can begin to see that, that our battle with depression and anxiety, it's moving from behaviors to beliefs to values to the heart to where we really do begin to feel like we are being transformed at the core of our being in such a way that we like who God is making us. And we have a level of satisfaction that is good. Having a greater sense of need uh, for Christ and His mercy. And we can smile about it. Um, Yet, again, if you could say, what would be one of the biggest markers that I get what you're talking about? It would be this. It's when I talk about your need for Christ, if instead of your head going down and going, yeah, I'm bad, if you could say, yeah, that's good. If your head could stay up and with a moment of smile or with an expression of a smile, you could say, you know what I do? I need Christ every day. That was the way I was made to live. That was the kind of fellowship that was disrupted uh, between Genesis 1 and 2 and the rest of the Bible. That my life is a journey back to that 
And when you tell me um, that, that I have this persistent need for Christ, you're not telling me I'm some junked up excuse for a human being. You're reminding me that I am becoming what true humanity was intended to be all along. And I like that. And I get distracted from it and it's kind of sweet to hear it again. Uh, that would be one of the prime indicators that you've gotten what I've been trying to share uh, for the course of our time together. Increased accountability and honesty. Again, we just want to counter that sense of aloneness. Uh, that when we get what this journey of the Christian life is about, we don't need a reason to be honest. Things don't have to be that bad before we invite somebody else into our life to live out our journey in an authentic way. It just becomes God made us to live in community. And this is, this is kind of like giving my car an oil change. I'm not going to drive my car very long without an oil change without expecting something to go bad. I'm not going to live very long outside of authentic community without expecting my life to begin to break down in some way. And somehow we give this idea of living authentically with accountability as if we're just perpetually on sin hunts in one another's life. Well, I think the reason we think that way is because we have set life up in such a way that we wait until things are that bad before we invite people into our life. And so they do have these kind of chronically broken things that they're looking for as red flags. And then once it gets a little better, we're like, cool, I don't need that anymore. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Learning to res not respond to difficulty by indulging in sin. Uh, and, and so that means no more emotional binges. No more times that when something gets hard, I just think, ah, Anxiety, it understands me. I'm just going to swim in it for a little while. Ah, this is hard. Depression, it's just going to kind of be my emotional cocoon. I'm going to wrap up in it. It understands me. And again, it, for a short period of time, it does feel like it can have those kind of relief experiences. But hopefully at this point we can see those are empty promises. And part of repentance, part of progress means... Uh, we just, we don't give in to those emotional binges. Um, and then learning to love and consider the interest of real people. It, you know, one of the anecdotes to depression and anxiety is being able to be as concerned for the people around me as I am for myself in healthy ways. Um, and so we can look at those kinds of markers but there's another way that we can come back and look at how we would measure progress with depression and anxiety. Uh, and that's where I give you this little sound wave uh, type diagram. It, uh, and, and what I would want you to see is that there's three ways uh, that we can measure progress uh, with most emotional experiences. And I think it's represented well by if we think in terms of sound wave. You can measure a sound wave in terms of its amplitude, its duration, or its frequency. And, and so the intensity, the duration, and how often it happens. When it comes to our experience of depression and anxiety, we can measure our progress in each of those ways. So I'm going to play a little math game with you. Uh, it is a little gamey, 
but I think the point behind it is very legitimate. So let's say we were going to come up with the life disruption score. I totally make that up. Counselors get to do that all the time. We give it initials, your LDS, uh, life disruption score. Um, it, we're we're going to measure that. And we're going to say that you measure that by, on a 1 to 10 scale, multiplying the intensity by the duration by the frequency of your experience. And so a maximum life disruption score would be 10 times 10 times 10. What does that equal, class? 1,000. Okay, good. Now, let's say for a moment, we begin to go through this. We're in the early stages. We're battling. We are just able to reduce each of those facets of our experience by two. So we go from a 10 to an 8, a 10 to an 8, a 10 to an 8. How much did we decrease our total life disruption score? What is 8 times 8 times 8? 512. Reducing each by 2, we decrease the total experience by almost half. Now you go, is that just one of those fun math games? Let me phrase it this way. If you take us in a situation where we feel completely overwhelmed and as if we don't have a chance, and you insert an increment of hope, a sense that my choices matter, I can begin to impact this. Ah, I am, the tide is turning. Does that not make a huge difference in your experience? Now, is it 49.2% difference? I don't know. But it is large. And so when we begin to go through and we think about our experience and going, am I, am I experiencing depression and anxiety less frequently? When I do experience, is it less intense? Am I able to grapple with it and make the duration less? It gives you a multifaceted way to find out if you're winning. It, now... Um, in this, I give you uh, some areas of your life to inspect, uh, just to go through and take a look. Because once we kind of make our plan to restructure our life, we implement, we want to know what progress looks like, and we want to look at different areas of our life to see how we're doing. Now, in terms of something that you would actually write on, I will tell you, this tool is awful. There is no room to write on it whatsoever. But it is intended to give you a visual to kind of have a grid to where if there's certain areas that you said, I just need to celebrate what's going on there. Maybe I put an A in that box, and then I flip over in the back and put an A and I write it out here. And then there's a spot that I really need to work on because that's the one I can tell that I'm just not getting my leg up like I wanted to there. Uh, I put a B, uh, and if you want to change color of ink pen because you're like OCD and want to make this really color-coded like I would, uh, then, then you do that in a different color pen, you put that on the back. But you can just go through and say in the different relationships of my life, uh, in the different occasions, the different locations, the different events, how am I doing at beginning to respond to the experience of depression and anxiety without shame and with wisdom in each of those occasions? And all of a sudden, you, instead of feeling hapless and powerless at something that's just washing over you and you just feel like it's happening to you, uh, you are becoming strategic. And you begin to say, I, I'm, I've got some victory on this front, and this front, and this one's next. If I don't know what to do about it, hey, I can talk to people. I'm not alone. 
I could take this. I could talk with a friend. If my friend, we can talk through it. We're not sure. I could go to a counselor because those kinds of options. I, I could do this. And as soon as we turn that corner, it's amazing what begins to happen. 